I am pleased to introduce our very first preacher for the summer who's come to share God's word with us. His name is Jason Morris. He, he, ha, he goes to the same barber that Doug and I do, and we're pretty excited about that. He has served on the staff of New Life Christian Church over in Morton for 17 years. He was the East Peoria campus pastor for several of those years. Most recently, he's working as the director of membership experience at Samaritan Ministries. He lives in Germantown Hills with his wife and six children. One of them, I forgot your name. Lincoln is with us. Lincoln, did you see that cross moving up there during that song? Doesn't that freak you out? It does. I watch that thing going, man, that's going around there. But he lives in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Germantown Hills with his wife and six kids. And he is here. When he found out he was the first guy to preach after Josh's moving on, he's like, thanks a lot, guys. That's a great position to be in. But would you give a warm welcome to Jason as he comes to deliver God's word? Well, uh, thank you, Mark. Um, I want to just start right in here. When, when Jesus calls a well-loved pastor into something new and that pastor leaves his church, um, even in the most healthy and joyful of situations, that church that is entering into a search for a new pastor has the potential to slip into an identity crisis. And uh, from what I've talked to you, from just talking to people this morning, it does not appear that you're in an identity crisis. Everybody's pretty happy, so that's, that's a big plus. The issue here is that this takes time, okay? Time is going to pass, and your church has a distinct personality. And your pastor, Josh, who I watched online a little bit, um, has obviously had a very great influence over the personality of this church. And no doubt, over the course of time, some of you connected your hearts to Josh, and you have a great affection for him, and he has a great affection for you. And so there's a little bit of a pulling apart there. Um, Doug Chamberlain told me that you've had some time to get used to this idea of Josh's departure. But this week, it's real. It's real. And uh, when Cameron Easley told me I'd be the first guest speaker after Josh's last Sunday, my first reaction was, are you serious? This is not good, man. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was basically because I knew I was walking into a whole bunch of emotions potentially here this morning. Some of you folks who feel things deeply um, might just be feeling sad this morning that it's like you just miss Mark. And, but that might put you in an emotional place to not connect to the new guy, right? And then um, for those who are maybe more the task-oriented driver types, um, you're like, just get the guest speakers out of the way. Get me the new pastor. I'm ready to go into the future. And I appreciate that, and I respect it, but also does not bode well for me. Um, <laughs> so I, I think almost everybody here would at least have a sense of, okay, we're into this new zone here, and I'm just going to kind of wait and see how this all plays out. And uh, that is absolutely natural. Um, but knowing emotions would be all over the place this morning, I thought at least my buddy Cameron Easley will be there to help me bring people a sense that they can trust this guest speaker. And then he proceeded to tell me he was on vacation this week, and I was like, you're not even there? So I was like, great. But, but seriously, um, I do believe God brought us together for a reason this morning, and I'm hoping that... Um, those in this room and myself can walk out of here uh, feeling a little more uh, connected to Jesus than we did before we arrived. Um, as I considered uh, what to speak about this morning, I thought of you all as a church in a search and how that comes with all these totally valid feelings of potential uncertainty or questions about direction of the future and that whole let's wait and see how this plays out mentality. And I landed on one thing. I landed on unity. On unity. And 
as I thought about unity and I thought about what it meant, it means a group of people joined together for a common goal, walking in step together into an agreed upon future without division. I'm gonna read that definition again. A group of people joined together for a common goal, walking in step together into an agreed upon future without division. Now, you need guys need to know, I have no idea if there's any disunity potentially even forming around here. I just know that when you're starting a pastoral search, um, that there's great potential for a whole lot of differing opinions about how things ought to go. And uh, that can result over the course of time in division and frustration and stress. But I also know it's possible to walk forward in unity. And I know that it's possible to do that. And I also know that there's joy in unity when we walk together. That brings a sense of joy. Philippians 2 is where Paul says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The NIV says being of one spirit and of one mind. So I want to know if you'll humor me for a second and say the phrase of one mind out loud with me. Let's say it, of one mind. Can we say it one more time? Of one mind. And I want you to think about that concept of, of being of one mind and what it means. Paul also describes the church in chapter 1 as standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So I want you to humor me again and say the phrase, firm in one spirit. Let's say it. Firm in one spirit. Unity is a picture of being of one spirit, of one mind, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Firm in one spirit. I've got a question for you guys. Um, has anyone here ever been on a winning sports team. Um, and what I mean by a winning sports team, just to clarify, um, it doesn't matter what the sport was, it doesn't matter if you won the championship, as long as it was a team sport and you won one game, that counts as being <laughs> on a winning sports team, okay? I want you to ask yourself, can you remember being in a season where you and your teammates were all firing on all cylinders and you were just kind of there together and you were way more powerful and effective as a team than you could ever be on your own. And even if it was just for a game or two, you felt unbeatable. And I want you to raise your hand high for just a second if you can remember that feeling of what it meant to win. Okay, all right, and be that, okay, awesome, awesome. So we've got a good group here. So, okay, non-sports people, set that aside. Um, if that's not you, and maybe you can remember a time where you were, you were um, in a choir, or in a band, or in a musical, or in a play, and the whole group had to be in sync in order to deliver a powerful and effective performance. Maybe you can remember that sense of joy as the performance came together. And when you finally got up on the stage and you did your performance and it was awesome and people clapped, you felt like all the differences between you and the people around you kind of just went away and it was like, we did this together. You were part of something bigger than yourself and it filled you with a sense of joy. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that? We got a few, yeah, all right, very good. Um, and if that's not you, maybe you can remember a time where you were with some good friends or family or coworkers and you guys were working on a project together, whether it was big or small, and everybody was just doing their part, and you felt like this is, what, this is how life ought to be. There was this sense of unity. It was just fun, and you were in sync creating or building something, and it felt like a monumental task, but because the group was there, it worked, and it was great, and you loved the way that group was working together. Anybody, raise your hand, remember that kind of a moment. Okay, I don't know if I got everybody, but hopefully we, <laughs> we got most of you. Um, if you can remember what that felt like, that is unity. There is joy in unity. 
when you're walking out a plan together, everyone's on the same team and there's this real joy and connection that happens. But I would challenge you to consider what was behind the unity and why you had unity. As you figured out how to work together to create that winning team, you began to gain an identity as a group, an identity. And that identity helped you to set down your own potential for self-focus that you might be tempted to hold on to and forced you to value the group. So I want you to take that concept of valuing the group and that whole team mentality and that joy in the connection that you had and start thinking of this group of people around you, okay? If this group of people at Crosspoint is going to be committed to being unified with one another during this pastoral search and this time of transition. If you're going to be of one spirit and of one mind, like Philippians says, there needs to be a common identity that bonds this group together. And I know you go to church here, so there is that common bond. You're all cross-pointers. Do you use the term cross-pointers around here? I made that up like over the last week, so don't start using it. I'm sorry, I made that. Anyway, it's like cross-pointer seems like a cool word. Never mind, terrible idea. But if being, <laughs> if being at this church and being a cross-point member comes under threat in the next weeks, in the next months, as you're searching for a new leader, or this common bond of being a person who goes to cross point starts to look different for somebody over here than it does to look, look for somebody over here. There is a deeper identity that will keep us connected if division starts to arise, and it's our identity in Jesus, our identity in Christ. It's who we are in Jesus. I want to say a phrase now that I'm really going to try to drive home, and I hope you don't get sick of hearing it. Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. I would like you to say that with me out loud now. Let's say it. Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. When we can find our identity in Christ and realize that all true followers of Jesus around us also have that identity in Christ, and when we commit to hold on to it, we become unified as a body of believers. My goal here this morning is for all of us to walk out of here with the sense that, ah, I am identified with Christ, and this group of people around me is also identified with Christ, and therefore we are connected together. And we're going to have a gained appreciation for one another and the fact that we all find our identity in Christ. It's both an individual identity and a group identity. So I want you to say that phrase with me again. Let's say it. Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. Now, I'm going to read from Philippians 1.27 through chapter 2, verse 4. And it says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And I'm skipping to chapter two now. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's a powerful passage when Paul says the phrases encouragement in Christ and comfort from love and participation in the spirit, he's talking about finding our identity in Christ. And I'm going to make you say it again right now. Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. Let's say it. Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. So going back to our verse 27 when it says, only let your manner of life be worthy 
of the gospel of Christ. This is about behavior that is honoring of God, okay? It's about conduct. It's about the way that we act toward one another. It means I'm conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's saying, you know what's been done for you. You know what I've done for you. And what's been done for you gives you your identity. And your identity drives your conduct. I'm going to ask you a very personal question now. Is there anybody here who'd be willing to raise your hand and say, I was adopted as a child? Anybody want to raise your hand? So we've got a couple. Very good. Okay. Um, I believe that adoption is one of the most profoundly joyful things that can happen in this world. I have six kids, as uh, Mark pointed out. We're kind of crazy like that. And... uh, we adopted our youngest son, Lincoln, who's sitting right up here in the second row. And we adopted him out of foster care. And uh, when we adopted Lincoln, he became one of us. His last name became Morris, and his identity changed. It's who he is now. And part of that Morris identity is living out a life in a way that his Morris parents expect, okay? That's pretty normal, right? I have talks with my kids all the time where I tell them, this is how a Morris acts. And when they're out of line, I tell them, you are out of line with the way a Morris is supposed to act and the way the Morris family behaves. Um, a neighbor kid came over the other day, and uh, he was playing with Lincoln outside, and they got into the garage refrigerator, and they took uh, a can of Sprite each out of the refrigerator. Now, they're not supposed to get into the soda without asking mom and dad, but they took, each took a can of Sprite, and they went out into the driveway, and one of them dropped it. And when it fell, it broke open, and Sprite started spraying all over the place, and they thought this was hilarious. So they went back to the fridge and gathered a whole bunch of Sprite, and they go out to the road, and they start smashing Sprite cans on the road, and Sprite's flying everywhere. So just picture this. I got people driving by the house, with these two laughing, insane children out in front of my driveway throwing Sprite cans and Sprites spraying everywhere. And this all happened over the course of about three minutes. And I, I, you know, so I'm inside, had no idea this was going on. I go walking outside, and there's no sign of any children out there. All I see is like it was a dry day, and there were puddles of Sprite and cans left everywhere in the street. And I looked around, and I said, something bad happened here. (laughs) So (laughs) I found Lincoln... And I asked him what happened, and during my interrogation of what was going on, um, he says, uh, you know, this is the neighbor kid's idea, of course. And uh, so, but I'm like, so what? You went along with it, right? He, he goes along with this ridiculous plan. So I told him, son, you are a Morris child, right? You're a Morris child. And Morris kids do not behave this way. That is embarrassing behavior. We do not act like that. It is destructive. Morrises behave themselves and know not to throw Sprite cans on the road out in front of our house. Okay? This is something that we should just know because it's who we are. All right? And what I really meant was your behavior does not line up with who you are. Your behavior does not line up with your identity. And I'm trying to tie identity to him into our family so that he can understand what being a Morris means and conducting himself in a manner that is consistent with what it means to carry our name. Lincoln got a new birth certificate when we went through the process of adoption. We adopted him when he was two and a half, and he'd been in our house since he was seven months old, and he didn't have any memory of anything prior to our family. But Lincoln wasn't his name before. He was born Carter Levi Warfield. And uh, he is now Lincoln Joseph Carter Morris. And his identity is legally different. He's a Morris now. It's who he is. When you're adopted, you have a new identity. Now, I want you to listen to what the scriptures say about Jesus and us and our own adoption. 
It says this in Ephesians 4, uh, 1, 4, and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God predestined us for what? Adoption. He predestined us for adoption. We are adopted into God's family. We belong to him now. God did the same thing for each one of us that our family did for Lincoln. Do you see what I'm getting at here, guys? Our very identity has been changed because of what Jesus has done for us. We have been adopted into his family. We belong to him now. I am adopted. Jesus chose me. You are all adopted. Jesus chose you. You are adopted by him. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? You're adopted. I want you to say that phrase with me. I am adopted. Let's say it. I am adopted. So I'm going to ask again, showing of hands, who here is adopted? Who here is adopted? That is what I want to see, okay? And this is why we all have this adoption in common. It's a common bond that drives identity, identity in Christ drives unity with one another. Will you say that phrase with me again? Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. So back to Philippians, where it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We've been adopted by God through Jesus. We belong to him now. It is who we are. It is our new identity. So just like my son's Lincoln, Lincoln's conduct here should look like someone who's part of my family, our conduct should look like someone who's part of God's family. Paul is saying our conduct has got to be in line with our identity as children of the living God. People, you are children of the living God. It is who you are. It is who you are. So let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I come to this verse um, over and over again in Galatians where it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's a, that's a picture of a new identity, right? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a picture of a life abandoned to Jesus with a new identity. And that's what Paul is talking about in Philippians 1.27 when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our identity is found in him now. If Jesus is living in and through me, then my conduct will absolutely be worthy of the gospel. It's not that I'm doing certain things to become worthy of him. It's because of who I am that I am acting in a way that is worthy of him. And that's only the first half of verse 27, by the way. After it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. All right, guys. The kind of life we live in which our identity is found in Christ, leads to our conduct being worthy of the gospel, and that results in oneness, in unity. If you take a group of people like this in this room, you're going to have different personalities, uh, different upbringing, different temperament, and you get them to realize that Christ is living in them, you will get unity, no matter how diversified that group is. In the NIV, Paul says this, I know you will stand firm in one spirit. That's a picture of oneness striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's unity. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And if our identity is in him, unity will follow because it is who we are. And I need to remind myself, guys, that I am identified with Christ now. 
Um, I know this to be true, but in the moment, I'm talking like daily, I forget that I am identified with Christ and he is my identity. It's, it's, it's the human condition. This, I bet you forget sometimes too. Uh, your conduct no longer aligns with your identity and you're like, what's going on here? It's like identity amnesia, if you will. And uh, I, I'm, getting, I'm guessing a lot of you get bouts of identity amnesia also. Um, you forget who you really are in Christ And all of a sudden, your conduct could not be described as worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, And it's embarrassing, right? It's the the battle we fight as humans who are Christians. And here's what happens when we have identity amnesia. We start acting like people we are not. We start acting like people we are not. And our spouses and our children and our parents and our friends and our coworkers all get frustrated with us because we are acting counter to our identity. We get selfish, we put our own needs above others, so our relationships with the people we care about become strained. And strained relationships lead to disunity. Um, my wife likes to use a phrase that I would like to arm you with this morning, and I think you should start using this phrase too, um, if I could be so bold. Um, when I'm acting out, or angry, upset, if I'm being mouthy in some way, um, or mopey, or just generally unpleasant, um, my wife will say to me this phrase, is something bothering you? Because you're not acting like yourself. You're not acting like yourself. What a profound truth. That phrase that she's using on me is basically saying, Jason, you belong to Jesus. You're identified with him now, you're his child. You belong to him. That's who you are. But this behavior that you have right now is inconsistent with who you are. So can we talk about it a little bit and just see what's going on and what's bothering you? If you've got the opportunity this week and you come across somebody who's prickly in the moment, but you know they're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have enough relational capital to pull this phrase out, (laughs) I would encourage you to try it. Say, hey, something bothering you because you're not acting like yourself. This This isn't who you are. You'd be amazed. When she says that phrase to me, I'm just like, I, I, my head kind of drops. I'm like, you are so right. That's, that's, I, there's nothing that you can say to that. It's like, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you know your identity in him, it's like, I know what that's like to be walking with him and to know my, I'm identified with him. And it's like this behavior, as soon as that gets juxtaposed to the whole lack of identity in Christ thing, it's like, I can't say anything. Okay, you're right. So, uh, and you have to have a reasonable conversation about it. If we can continually sense Jesus' love, remember our identity in Christ, we're going to live in a way that reflects him to the people around us, to the people we love. I won't suffer from identity amnesia anymore, and if I can remember my identity, I can understand my significant role I have to play and how that feeds into the larger group identity. The uh, marching band is one of my favorite pictures of unity. Have we got that? Okay, good. Yeah, I got a little pixelated, didn't I? Okay. Um, because would you, anybody, anybody um, raise your hand, have you been to a band performance and watched them go around on the field? And, okay, almost everybody, almost everybody, okay? It's this highly complex piece of machinery with all its cogs and wheels working together in perfect harmony, and everybody has to know exactly what to do next. Anybody been in a marching band? Can I see raising of hands? We got at least a few, right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You got to move from place to place. 
And you got to know what the next move is, and the next move is, and the next move is. And the band not only has to move together, they have to be in rhythm. So they're all watching the drum major up there, you know, doing the... And it's like they're trying to make sure they're on, they're on the beat because there's some way over here and some way over here, and they can't hear each other very well. And so they're watching that drum major. And did you know what else? They've got to play in tune while they're moving. It is not easy, okay? And I don't know if you're aware of this. If you're not an instrumentalist, um, instruments aren't just magically tuned when, when you start playing an instrument, it's not just like on pitch. And so if everybody walked out there and started playing together without tuning, it would be a total musical disaster, okay? <laughs> and so um, if you've ever been to like a band concert, um, the guy who's in Germantown, where I'm from at, uh, at the middle school, he will walk out there with a box and uh, it, he will press a button on it and it goes <laughs> And all the kids, you know, it's like and, <laughs> and they find it. And uh, so they, they're, they're tuning to that reference pitch. They have to have a reference pitch. And uh, they, the, I don't know if he's playing concert F or concert B flat or A440 or what, but regardless, the band students know what, what note he's playing because he's told them in advance. And so they tune their instruments prior to their playing, they listen intently to that pitch and they adjust their instruments just so until they are in tune. That is what Paul is urging on this church in Philippi. On the field, the members of the marching band align to the reference pitch, right? And then they play their unique part as they move around with the whole. They aren't in it for their own individual, individual glory at each other's expense. If one single tuba player decides he's going to walk out and steal the limelight from the others, um, the whole thing sort of falls apart. It only works because everyone works together toward the same goal. And this is how the church is supposed to be. Folks, I'm going to say this as clearly as I can in this analogy. Jesus is our reference pitch. He is what we attune our lives to. And when daily we find a way to get back in tune with him, it gives us the ability to play in tune with others and brings us that sense of unity together as we walk forward in making these crazy formations all over the field in whatever form of life we are living out with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this world and in this life. It's a picture of attuning to Jesus, okay? He is our reference pitch. When we align our hearts with him and we each play our unique part, of the whole body of Christ, identity in Christ will drive unity with one another. Can we say the phrase again? Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. Let's say it one more time. Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. Now, um, this level of unity that he describes is almost laughably impossible. If you put uh, two Christians, two church members, if you will, in a room um, and you ask them a question, you'll probably get three opinions, right? Uh, we, we've got th theological differences, um, smoldering resentments from past events that are hanging out there, radical variations in style preferences for worship. Uh, we got personality cults, clashes over leadership style, arguments on moral behavior issues and cultural politics. How is it possible to live the way that Paul describes here, thinking the same, loving each other, regarding everyone else's opinions as more valuable than my own. The answer has to be that we're focused on someone outside of ourselves, and that person is Jesus. The motivation for our unity is actually laid out in Philippians 2.1 where it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. When he, when he starts that, he says this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ from belonging to the king's family, from being in Christ, 
in the Messiah. It's who we are. We're not experiencing identity amnesia. Any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit. As the spirit lives inside all of us, directing us and strengthening us. If any affection and sympathy, he's saying our connection with Jesus should produce the natural emotions of affection, sympathy, compassion, tenderness toward one another. This ties back to letting our identity drive our behavior, right? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He he tells them, bring their thinking into line with each other. He's saying, disciples of Jesus, like the members of a marching band who focus single-mindedly on the routine that they are performing, and they play in tune, should focus on the good of others. We are the band members who are attuned to Jesus Christ. We play our God-given part for the group of the whole. It's all in line with the gospel. Um, unity around the wrong thing is bad. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, you can, this is how factions and church start. You get a group and they start talking and yeah, they're upset about something and they kind of get mad. And now we're really mad about something. Guys, I want you to know the unity has to be centered on Jesus um, because we can easily slip into having our unity on something not Jesus. And then it'll just be this, okay? Uh, the Nazis had unity in Germany in World War, during World War II, right? There's a lot of unity going on there, but they were unified around the wrong thing. So we don't want to get to a place where we unified around the wrong thing. Think back to that um, uh, world of our sports team, okay? Because as we look around and see each other as being carriers of the Holy Spirit, all of us striving to our identity in Christ, we can hardly help the sense that we should work together and move in that single direction like we did when we were on that sports team or like we did when we were on that, in that band or in that choir or in that group of friends or coworkers. There was joy in working together for the common good and we can have that sense of unity in a church. It is possible. Uh, verses three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Paul's challenging us to look at one another with the assumption that everyone else and their needs are more important than mine. And folks, that attitude's totally impossible unless we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Paul knows who he is in Christ. I don't know if you know this, but he's actually writing these words from prison. So it's this picture of being in perhaps the worst circumstance you can be in, and he's writing words of joy and unity. He's got to be struggling, right? But Paul was shapeable. He wasn't even planning on going to this town, Philippi, to begin with, but God called him there And his purpose wasn't his own plan. It was wherever God led him and he followed. Paul had to empty himself of pride, his identity outside of Christ, and take on the identity in Christ. And that meant he let go of his plan and followed Jesus' plan. Paul knew that if he could empty himself of his own agenda and just roll with God's direction, it would change who he was. And if we can empty our agenda and just drop it outside of us and fully surrender to God, it changes who we are. Identity in Christ drives unity with one another. This means recognizing when identity amnesia is beginning to take hold of our minds, okay? We can recognize it and say, no, I belong to Jesus. I'm his child. I'm on a spiritual journey. Our goal here, church, is to grow up in Jesus and to tell other people about him and encourage them to go on this journey with us. That's what being his disciple is all about. You know, you got your uh, mission statement over here, more and better, is that over here? More and better disciples of, of Jesus. And it's like, that's what we're trying to do here is take people to a place where it's like I'm following him and walking with him. We're complex beings created in God's image individually, but unity is what is required of us if we're gonna live in a place of joy. I have a couple of very short 
practical things I would like you to consider before I actually close out. First, in the weeks and months ahead of you guys, that um, I don't know how long it's going to take you to walk this pastoral search process. Um, it could be a little while, right? Um, but as you walk this, and if you along the way find yourself at odds with another church member here, and you're just like, that person is driving me crazy. If that's happening to you, <laughs> I would like to challenge you. I would like you to ask yourself, okay, wait a minute. I'm adopted by Jesus. Isn't this person adopted by Jesus? Yes, they are adopted by Jesus. Therefore, we are one family. And that means we need to work it out. And we need to not give up on each other. And I, I know that's a tough challenge. I've been through uh, a lot of scenarios where that hasn't worked out. But guys, I know it's possible. I know it's possible to not give up on each other. And so if you find yourself at odds with somebody, <laughs> have enough maturity to say, you know what, I'm not going to let this sit. Let's talk. Let's, let's get this thing out there and understand each other's values and put, put them above my own and have a, have a conversation so division does not arise and you stay in a place of unity. Guys, that will put you in a position when new pastor X comes in here and starts preaching on Sunday mornings, it's going to put you in a position of being united together. And you want to talk about a position of strength. That's where you want to be. It's where you want to be. Next, and finally, if all this talk about identity in Christ is something that feels mysterious to you, um, and you're sitting there going, I just don't understand how to find my identity in Christ. I don't know what you mean. You've been making me say these phrases over and over again, Jason. It's annoying because I don't know what it means. Um, I, would, it, I, th I believe strongly it would benefit you greatly to go sit down and have coffee or breakfast with somebody that you know and trust who can explain to you what it means to find your identity in Christ. And... I believe that if you do that, you'll have the opportunity to have that light bulb sort of flicker on and say, now hold on a second, I get it. My identity before was all about me, but now it's all about Jesus. I would encourage you, um, if you have questions about that, please stick around here afterward. I'd be happy to talk to you about finding your identity in Christ. But an even better choice than me would be someone that you know and trust, uh, that you're in relationship with, because that will help you continue to grow in your identity in Christ and not just sort of be a one-time thing on a Sunday morning for a few minutes, okay? I want you to imagine, guys, as a church, what unity would look like if everybody here spent the majority of our lives believing that we were children of God, that we belonged to him, finding our identity in him so that our conduct was always worthy of the gospel. In other words, our attitudes and our actions become reflective of Jesus and we become a unified, unstoppable force and for good in this world. We'd be on a mission together for the glory of God. This church would be able to, to avoid an identity crisis altogether. And I pray that for you guys um, because you will know that your collective identity is found and rooted in Jesus. He is who we are all attuning our lives to every day. And that allows us to play in tune together, to walk in unity. And all those emotions that I talked about when, uh, that you might be experiencing when I walked in here as over, over the course of the next weeks, weeks and months, uh, those emotions are valid, but ultimately we want them to return to a place of joy. And that's going to happen if you've got unity. All right, um, I'm going to invite the band back up here, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we will uh, we'll close out with a little bit of worship. Um, but why don't can we stand together? Is that is that okay? All right, very good. We stand. Lord Jesus, um, I want to pray now that you'd help this group of believers, this church, to skip 
the identity crisis. Lord, I pray that there'd be uh, no question in their own minds about who they belong to. Help us each to focus on you so that we can promote the kind of unity that Paul is describing that brings you glory. We want to walk in joy, Lord. We want to walk as joyful people. Help us find joy and unity with one another. Help us each drop any selfish ambition that we're holding on to, any vain conceit that we're holding on to, and to consider others better than ourselves. We want that oneness that you describe in Scripture, Lord, in Philippians. And we want to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the sake of the gospel. We want your joy through unity, God. Help us to find our identity in you today, tomorrow, this week, and to align our lives with you alone. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Thank you for adopting us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.